Any lesson or Bible class that you try to do on light in the Bible is, is faced with the challenge of scope. Because light and light versus darkness is one of the most common and one of the most powerful images that's used in the Bible. In fact, the whole story of the Bible can really be told in terms of light. You know, one of my favorite things to do is look at themes through the Bible, and this is one of the most powerful and common of those themes. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, let's read the first five verses of Genesis. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So there on the very first page of the Bible, we see this contrast between darkness and light and a dividing by God from the light that is from him. He's the source of light and then that chaotic darkness uh, as the contrast. Now turn to the last page of your Bible, to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And so we've started with creation, the very beginning. Now we go to... Uh, the end of time on earth, and we look to the new Jerusalem. And if you're there in Revelation 21, let's first read verses 23 through 25. Revelation 21, had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And then the last chapter, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5. Revelation 22 and verse 5. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. The beginning and the end. And much in between deals with this vivid image. And our purpose tonight is not to trace light all the way through the Bible, though that uh, would make for an inter interesting study in and of itself. Our purpose is to narrow it down to how Jesus uses it here when he says of himself, I am the light of the world in the Gospel of John. In his Gospel, John uses that theme of darkness and light more than any other theme except for perhaps the theme of water. And he depicts Jesus as the source of light and the source of life in John the first chapter. So turn to John chapter 1. When Jesus makes this claim in John's gospel, it's in the context of what we've already seen from John as he talks about Jesus and who he is. So if you're reading John's Gospel and you get to the 8th and ninth chapters where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it would be in the context of everything you've already read. So let's quickly try and get that, that context. Um, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Maybe your translation says the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this man came for a witness, to, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this would call up all sorts of images in the minds of John's readers. They're reading in the Gospel of John, and they think to themselves, uh, uh, I've heard some of this terminology before. This sounds familiar. And hopefully for those of you in the class tonight, it would sound familiar as well. But what is John claiming about Jesus in describing him this way? Uh, well, let's think about that for just a second. If you have the handout that was on the table out there in the foyer, it would probably be helpful to you. If you don't have that handout, that's okay. You don't have to have it. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to divide the congregation in half, the sheep from the goats. Uh, just kidding. All right, so right here on the middle, this is one half, okay? And then, Derek, you start the other half over here. So here's what I want you to do. If you're on this half of the auditorium, uh, if you're sitting next to somebody, it might be helpful to, for you both to have your Bibles out. Uh, but I want you to look at what we've read here in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 or so. And I want you to compare it to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And then you can also drop down to verses 26 and 27 where he talks about the creation of man. And your assignment uh, for the next couple of minutes is to say what, what words, maybe it's the exact word or phrases or concepts, do we find in common between those two passages, okay? So you look backwards from the Gospel of John. On this side of the auditorium, we're going to study from 1 John 1 here in just a second. Your job is to take John 1, 1 through 14 that we read and compare it with John 1, 1 through 8 and 2, 8 through 11 and try and find the common words and themes and ideas. Maybe it's not the exact same word that's used, but it's the same concept um, and write down those things that you find in common. So if you're on this side, you're filling in over here on this side with Genesis you're on this side, you're filling over here with 1 John, and for now we're leaving the middle blank, okay? And I'm going to give you, uh, uh, I'll give you a few minutes to work on that.
joining us online, feel free to uh, put some of these connections in the comments. Nobody will see them except the other people online. I'll give you one more minute to work on that. Okay, go ahead and wrap it up. And we're going to start on this side of the room. Um, what connections do you see between Genesis 1 and John chapter 1? Could you come up with words, phrases, ideas that are the same? In the beginning. They start with the exact same phrase, right? Okay, what else? We kind of just keep quoting that. In the beginning, God, right? God's in both of them. What else? Light. What else? The difference between light and darkness. Okay. Light and darkness, and then dividing between those two. Okay, what else? Light into the world. Light to the world. Okay, what else? Word, right? So it doesn't say word uh, in Genesis, but it does say that God said, right? Um, so we have this word and said, okay? What else? Jesus is in both places, okay? The us there, I got you now. Okay, what else? Anything else from Genesis? Uh, what was he doing in Genesis 1? He was creating or making, right? And of course, that's what John is saying too in John chapter 1, that there's creation or making going on. Uh, we're made in the image of God, we're born of God, those ideas are all there. Uh, so, uh, that's pretty good. Um, in Genesis, you've got the implication that it was done by God, everything was done by God, but in John it says it was by the will of God. Okay. So all this is by God, by the will of God. And I'd also, I think I would put life in there somewhere too, right? Um, even though that's not explicitly said, certainly that concept is there. Um, and uh, chapter 2 of Genesis talks about man becoming a living being. Okay, anything else that you would add to this list over here, this side? So what is the significance of this connection? How is John describing Jesus? He was at creation, and he was just there as an innocent bystander? He is the creator God. He is the I am, the very point that we're talking about in this class, right? Okay, um, now let's think about 1 John chapter 1. Why don't we go over there and read that together, uh, especially for those of you who have been in Genesis. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, and then chapter 2 and verse 8, Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, so what words, phrases, concepts, ideas do we see connecting John 1 with 1 John 1? In the beginning, right? Okay, the beginning. What else? The word. The word. Life. Life with the Father and from the Father. Okay. Darkness. 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 Ah, that's right. He uses that same exact phrase. The true light. We've seen it, testified to it. Okay. Seen and testified. Um, of course, that's what John was doing. Also, witness. Witness. Good. Is there in both of those? What else? Manifested. Manifested, right? Manifested and seen, right? Came into the world. Yes, the same thing. That's okay. Came into the world. The world is there. Okay. Uh, anything else? I'd say uh, God is there too, right? Now we just passed right over that. Uh, what was going on when John was writing 1 John? There were false teachers out there, and what were they denying? You remember? It was about Jesus. Jesus was not what? He's not God. He's not the Son of God. He was not the Christ. Jesus is not the Christ. And so John uses this same terminology, just like he used in 1 John, just like we see back there in Genesis, to make that point that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He is, this is not the terminology he uses, but he is the I Am. He is this promised one. All right, so what do we, um, what do we see in common between these two? Uh, let's see if we can go back and forth here. We've got in the beginning, we've got God, we have light and darkness, um, Light of the world, so the world is in there, right? Um, we have the word. Uh, we have life. Um, and so we see that there's a lot of connections between those two that are found in both. Uh, but we find it 
all of those things in John chapter 1. So John, from the very beginning here, is saying Jesus is the I Am. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And this is seen in large part by this idea that Jesus is the light and the source of light. Now, uh, we spent some time talking about it here, but let me just run quickly through the rest of the book. Uh, I know you don't believe me, but I'm going to try. In chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And that's appropriate since Nicodemus is in darkness. He's without spiritual sight and understanding. And if you turn to John chapter 3, uh, Jesus makes a very familiar statement in verse 16 to almost everyone, but then what he says after that is not so common, not so commonly quoted or seen. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Know that. Now keep reading. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Whether we're attracted to the light of Jesus or whether that light is, is something that repels us from him, is going to show us where our heart is. Do we believe in Him and thus we're attracted to the light? Or are our deeds evil and we don't want those deeds exposed so we are repelled by that light because we love darkness rather than light? You know, the fact is, we need light. The sun allows our planet to survive, uh, for us to have the warmth we need and for our crops to grow our bodies actually start to shut down if we're deprived of light for too long. Uh, up in the Arctic Circle, uh, in the few places where it's inhabited, you think far north Alaska, the children there actually during the winter months, they have to be exposed to light that mimics the sun or their growth will be stunted. Uh, and they're not going to grow or be healthy because they don't have this exposure to the light. Uh, we need light so much that depriving someone of light can be used as punishment or torture, and it has been for centuries. Almost all of us at some point in our lives have been afraid of the dark, and when we're placed in a dark room, where are our eyes inevitably drawn? To the light, to the light, right? Some of you have probably been in a cave before. Who's been in a, in a cave before? Okay, basically everybody. Uh, we went to a cave... Um, we took this picture at the end. We were told to look like a boy band. How did we do? Um, so we went to this cave, and you know what they do on these cave tours, right? There's that one part where they close the door. Uh, this was at Wonderworld Cave in San Marcos. Uh, I would describe it as wonderfully tacky. Um, but it was, it was a neat place. It was a dry cave, so we could touch everything, and the girls loved that. Um, and so there's one point where they close the door, and it's supposed to be total darkness, right? What do your eyes do when it's that dark? What, what do you do? Your eyes get big, your pupils get big, you're looking for light. You need the light. And this was supposed to be total darkness, and it was very, very close, but 
out of the corner of your eye, when you're looking right at it, you couldn't quite see it, but out of the corner of your eye, you could just see the very top of the door frame. And there was a little tiny bit of light coming in, right? And, and my eye was able to see even that tiny bit of light. That's what I was drawn to. Uh, and, of course, you see the illustration. Somebody lights a match in that environment. Uh, boom, your eyes go straight to it, and it illuminates the whole place because the darkness is driven out by even that small source of light. Um, you know, what about us? Do we want to bring all things to the light? Do we really want to know what the truth is? Later in the Gospel of John, in chapters 11 and 12, and to a lesser extent in chapter 13, Jesus warns his apostles to be found in the light because the darkness of his death is approaching, the night when no one can work. In the final chapters, darkness and light are much more subtle, with the most overt reference being to the darkness of the morning when Mary went to the tomb before they knew Christ had, had risen. And I don't, I don't think John does that by accident. They're in darkness, but they're about to be illuminated and enlightened by Jesus' resurrection, even as the sun was rising on that day to give light to the world. Um, but some of the strongest images of light and darkness are found in John chapters 8 and 9. Um, and if you want to turn there, that's where we'll spend the rest of our time. Jesus makes one of his I am statements in chapter 8 when he declares that he is the light of the world and then he proves that after stating it again by healing a man born blind in chapter 9. But let's go to chapter 8 and verse 12, John chapter 8 and verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. And that was true of them, and that's true of us. Following Jesus, imitating Jesus, is how we shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. And, and what we see in the rest of the 8th chapter is just misunderstanding after misunderstanding after misunderstanding on the part of the Pharisees who were supposed to be the ones who saw most clearly what the law of Moses taught. Uh, we, we don't have time to read through the entire chapter, but Jesus responds and he says, well, I don't just bear witness of myself, my father bears witness of me, and they misunderstand that. In verse 19, they said to him, where is your father? Uh, Joseph was probably dead by this point. They said, your father can't bear witness of you, but that's not the father he was talking about, was it? They misunderstood. Um, Jesus says to them in verse 21, I'm going away and, and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot go. And the Jews said in verse 22, will he kill himself because he says where you go, I cannot come? Again, misunderstanding. Uh, he says of himself in verse 24, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And they said to him, who are you? Again, they misunderstand. He's telling them who he is. I'm God. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. And their response is, well, well, who are you? Later in 31 and 32, he says, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. In verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Really? I mean, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, Rome, 
They're literally in bondage right now. Uh, but Jesus doesn't get that low-hanging fruit. Uh, they say to him, how do you say to us, you will be made free? And he says, no, no, it's not, it's not physical slavery that I'm talking about. It's slavery to sin, spiritual slavery. They misunderstand. He goes on to talk about uh, being Abraham's descendants, and I've seen my father, and in verse 39 they say, Abraham is our father. Again, they misunderstand. In verse 41, uh, he says, The deeds of your father you do. And they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. You know what they're saying there, don't you? Say there's a rumor that maybe you were uh, born of fornication, an illegitimate birth. Your mother was pregnant before she was married to your father. Again, misunderstanding. So Jesus says in verse 43, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. They go on in verse 48, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? No, you don't rightly say that. Um, and finally they ask of him, verse 53, Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? What's the answer? Let me hear your head rattle. Yeah. Yeah, I am greater. Who do you make yourself out to be? They didn't see. They were in darkness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm trying to illuminate here. I'm trying to show you the way things really are. But they loved darkness rather than light. And they hated the light because of what he was telling them. And so Jesus, he's not getting anywhere. Um, and so in chapter 9, he gives us a vivid image by working a miracle. In verse 1 of John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, as he so often did, they gave him two choices, A or B, and he picked C. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. His disciples didn't see clearly either. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he heals this man who was born blind. He tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Puts mud on his eyes, remember? And this man comes back what? Seeing. He went and washed in obedience to Jesus' commands. And by Jesus' grace and power, he comes back seeing. And so they brought him to the Pharisees. And they inquire of him, and so on and so forth. And ultimately, they say of him in verse 34, you are completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? Isn't that interesting? They say, you are born blind because of your sin. And you think you can teach us? Well, this man could, because he was willing to see. The blind man was willing to see. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, verse 35, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. 
And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see, those who think they see, may be made blind. And the Pharisees understand correctly that he's talking about them. Uh, It's interesting, there's so many allusions to light and darkness here. When Jesus first says, I am the light of the world, in verse 20 of chapter 8, it says he was in the treasury, which is also known as the court of women in the, in the temple. And it was just after the Feast of Booths. And you know what they did in the court of women during the Feast of Booths? They hung up giant lamps that gave light in both day and night through that entire feast. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. They're full of misunderstanding in all of this, of course. And Jesus tries to shine light into the darkness, their spiritual darkness and blindness, their lies, because Jesus is the source of light and sight and truth. And spiritual sight is equated at the end of this chapter with obedient, growing faith. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This and one other passage will be the last ones that we have time for this evening. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. If spiritual sight is equated with obedient, growing faith, with faith, then spiritual blindness would be what? Spiritual sight is obedient faith. Spiritual blindness is what? Sin. Unfaithfulness. Right? Lack of belief. Unbelief in Jesus and who He is that leads us not to obey as we ought. Uh, We get a great image of what spiritual blindness is in the ninth chapter. Um, But I think it boils down to this. Am I listening to the truth no matter what? No matter who it comes from, no matter what I want to hear. Maybe I don't always do that, but that should be my attitude. That should be my goal. I want to see. And Jesus is the one who can give me light to see. So if Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what is our role then? We need to wake up. We need to see Jesus so that He can shine into our life, first of all, right? We can get rid of all the darkness and all the lies and all the treachery and replace it with the light of Christ and truth. Okay? Then what? We have to walk in the light as He is in the light. That means we have to continue to try and live our lives in service to Christ and be obedient to His will, right? And that doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. In fact, 1 John tells us 
you know, I, I write these things so you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father that you can come back and make it right. Walking in the light doesn't mean not ever sinning. It means we make it right whenever we do. Okay? Then what? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5, what? You are the light of the world. Cities set on a hill cannot be hidden. They light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But on a lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We reflect Jesus' light. We are imitators of Christ. Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Uh, I saw this, this meme was sent to me last week. I think it's pretty good. Oh, uh, there's the reflection that we should be of Jesus, right? We reflect his light. We imitate him. Uh, there's Christ. There's Paul. There's me. Sometimes that's the way it feels, right? Uh, he says in another place, Paul does, uh, note those who so walk and imitate them as they imitate me. So we're imitators of imitators of an imitator of Christ. I mean, how is there any light left at that point? Well, it seems a long way off. But if we do that right, this imitation, as poor as it is, will give those who see us a glimpse of Jesus in us. And they will yearn to know more. They will yearn to know the original. We reflect Jesus, not in His fullness, not in His perfection, but we give a glimpse of His light when we live like Him. They see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Um, we are the moon. Can you see the moon during the day? Yeah, I mean, if you find it, in the, oh, there it is, there it is in the sky, right? But we had a full moon the other night. In the darkness, what can you really see? I mean, you can really see the moon. And, and sometimes the hunter's moon, I think this last one was called, it's so bright that it illuminates stuff enough that I can kind of see where I'm going. I can see what's going on around me. And that's our role. Because this world is filled with darkness, we have to be the reflection of Christ. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? What did he say back there in John chapter 9? When was he going to be the light to the world? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And now he gives us that responsibility to reflect him, that we are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men. That's kind of a strange statement when you think about it. Let your light shine. That's like saying, let your plane fly. Let your water be wet. What does light do if not shine? Well, light can flicker and go out, but as soon as it does, it is no longer light. What Jesus is saying is, you do what you were made to do. You were made in my image, and I am the light of the world. And I have recreated you in me as the creator, as the I am. I have recreated you to be the light of this world. And that means we have to come to him. That means we have to obey Him. That means we have to walk in the light. But when we go through those doors, we have to live in such a way that others see Jesus in us. A reflection of His light. Uh, thank you for your good attention tonight.